Okay, so one of the uh, Bible verses that is most erroneously quoted is uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. So get out your Bibles. This is a big one in our day. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. This is actually pertinent to the sermon today because we're going to get a judgment from God that is a final judgment in our sermon about uh, Michael, David's wife. He's going to t- God's going to tell us his final determination about her. And a final determination is not the same thing um, as, as simply judging a particular a one-off act, right? A snapshot is not a video. You see snapshots of people's lives, you can't make final judgments about them. You watch the video of someone's life, you can. So, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, would you like to read it for us? You don't sure. Don't. Oh, no. not, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with measure you see, or you use, it will be measured to you. There you go. So it says, do not judge. Now, this I'm sure all of you hear all the time, right? Don't judge. Don't judge. Yeah. Don't judge me. Don't be so judgy. Judgy, judgy, judgy. <laughs> um, yeah. But what you find out is that there's actually a difference. Um, because if you go to John, okay, John, where is it? John 7.24. John 7.24. John seven twenty four. You want to read it? Yeah, sure. Uh, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Okay, so he says, don't judge, but then he says, judge. <laughs> right? Don't strike a fool according to his folly. Hey, strike a fool according to his folly. It's one of my favorites. I love it. Right next to one another, he tells us to do something that he then tells us not to do. He says, don't judge, but then he says, make sure you judge by the right kind of judgment. So what, how do we reconcile these two verses for the non-judgy crowd? Well, the first one, you didn't read, the, do not judge lest you be judged. So if you're willing to be judged, then you can go ahead and judge. Yeah, them. you can. Yeah, sure. By all means. But no, it's going to come back. It's a way of life, right? And, and that's true. In a community, when you live in community with people, you're, gonna, you're, you're judging what they're doing, and you know you're going to also likewise be judged, right? Because as soon as I go over to someone and I'm like, hey, I want to address this sin with you, if it's a friend, what, what almost oh, um, immediately happens is they start doing the same. <laughs> they turn the guns on me. I was going to say, I, I like the word evaluate. Evaluate. There you go. <laughs> At least for the first part. Evaluate yeah. correctly. And then right. The moral condemnation that... Leave that to God. Yeah. And I, and I would say that it's very... There's a, a, a nuance. And I don't know if the words in Greek are different. But when I see what... Like, I see how you're talking to your wife. I can judge this moment. And I can use the right kind of judgment. You ought not to do that. Now, I don't know what happened before. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I can see what you're doing, and I can see that this is a violation of the law of God. Now, what I can't do is look at this situation and say, you know, you're going to hell uh, because you don't love your wife. Now, those are completely different kinds of things. And, and, I, and, and people can conflate them all the time. Now, both, when, we, when, when conservative Christians and Christians who take the Word of God seriously... When we say judgment statements, we tend to say it in a once for all, oh, this person is good, just going to hell. But we don't really know, right? It, we, we ought to be a lot more careful in the way we judge and the way we word it. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. 
okay? Especially, I mean, uh, this, this happens with Michael. So some people could look at the story of Michael and see her barrenness and say, oh, I'm barren, therefore I'm Michael. But, but what, what you don't, what you, all you have is a snapshot in your own life, right? What we're told by God is what his final judgment of her was at the end of her life. And, and I mean, this is where Christians throughout Scripture, we read things and we, make all, we, we don't judge with the right judgment, like Jesus says. All you, dogs you, have four legs, but not all four-legged animals are dogs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I mean, it's the Jonah, Jonah, Job question, right? You ask people, are you Jonah or Job? And almost all the Jobs say they're Jonas, and all the Jonas say they're Jobs. It's very confusing. Then you have to set people right. You get like, okay, no, you're under the judgment of God right now because you're running away from him. Okay, you're under the judgment of God right now because he loves you. <laughs> There's a difference. Uh, okay, so this is an important thing that we have to, when we're talking to people who are other Christians, I mean, people know I'm a Christian, so I hear this all the time from secular friends. I thought Jesus, I thought your Lord said not to judge people. It's like, well, that depends on if you mean Matthew or in John. <laughs> Go and find out what this means. Okay. So do you guys have anything else to say about psychoanalysis? It was a very brief chapter. No, but the judgment thing. So you're yeah. saying, okay to judge, but we don't get to say the permanent judgment. Yeah, I think you have to be very clear about that. Right? When I look at my son and I say, you are lying right now, I think it's very clear. You have to not say, you are a liar. Because that's yeah. a final judgment. Mm-hmm. You are lying. is different than you're a liar. And, and I think if you listen to yourself, we do this constantly, and it's part of the problem. The accusation would, wouldn't stick as often from secularists if we didn't do it all the time. <laughs> and I don't think it's what we necessarily intend. We're just not very careful about language. Uh, you're an unloving person is like a final judgment. Not, you're being unloving, right? There's a huge right. difference. What were the two Bible verses? Matthew. Uh, um, Matthew 7 1 7 1 and 7 24 7 24 and John yeah, yeah. so Matthew 7 chap, uh, chapter 7 verse 1 John chapter 7 verse 24 yeah, thanks uh, all I'm going to say is you know in, in the neuthetic counseling movement uh, which is really big in our circles uh, it, you know the what kind of counseling? Neuthetic counseling. It's a Greek word. I don't. I don't really know why it's called that. I can't. Remember. What's it mean? Uh, it means counseling biblically. Oh, okay. <laughs> I actually don't know what the word neuthetic means. <laughs> but it's called that. It's I, I, it's N O U T. I don't know. It's a Greek word. It's called neuthetic counseling. That part's not important. I love how how distractible you guys are. But in that <laughs> movement, there is this idea that. It's the last time they use that. Yeah, I know. She's, <laughs> Because I just call it biblical counseling, usually. But there's this movement started by Jay Adams about how the Bible is sufficient and ministers are sufficient for counseling people. And I agree with that. But I think what you have to do is not reject... Yes? It means to admonish. To admonish. There you go. So, neuthetic counseling is, is the idea that you... I don't need psychoanalysis and psychology. I don't need all of that. I can... The Word of God and, and my position as a minister is sufficient for me to counsel people, which is true. But you have to be very careful here because there's a lot of factors involved, okay? Um, there are certain, certain uh, issues that people have through diet, through lack of sleep, through trauma that actually require sometimes very specialized help. Um, and that doesn't mean that ministers shouldn't be uh, counseling with the scriptures primarily as their means. It just means that occasionally you need help, right? Just like... <laughs> 
I can I can um, comfort you, but but there are limitations to my ability to comfort you based solely on the Bible, right? Uh, comforting with the Bible is not the same as comforting you with a blanket. <laughs> Sometimes the the comfort you need is very specialized. So I, I, what I like about C.S. Lewis is he gives us a little helpful uh, jot, um, you know punch in the arm here because generally he's a little bit more friendly towards psychoanalysis than what, I, than what I'm always comfortable with but um, I know of a case especially like a, a pastor was dealing with somebody with split personalities it's, this is always my example so a person uh, a person uh, suffers from trauma okay, of some kind and, and they cannot process it and deal with it so their, their psyche produces another person several persons and this is who you meet in real life when you talk to the person you're talking to this person or sometimes this person and, and, and in order to get these people to go away you have to go and get to this person and you have to talk to this person and you have to deal with the trauma this person suffered and, and this is a very loose explanation of it but this is an example where I know it was very difficult to get through the defenses into the actual person to deal with what really happened because what happened to them was so there are people who suffer things that they don't want to even say what it is and in a counseling situation if you can't get the person to even say what happened to them you're not going to get very far because then you you can't deal with it Um, so I know that a Christian counselor is very competent I mean this was so far beyond anything he was had experience, he, and he got very professional help. And, and and this is why it's important to have Christians who are in all fields, because you need the Christian point of view, but dealing with very complicated psycho and analytical things like this. Does this make sense? Okay. All right. So moving on from that to even the, the more awkward conversation about sexual ethics. I'm such a Puritan sometimes. I was shocked by the sheer number of times he said the word sex. So I'm going to call it marital ethics. Just for my own comfort. But also because if you're talking about there, there ought not to be sex outside of marriage. So when you're talking sexual ethics, you're talking marital ethics, in my opinion. The two go together. Um, so this, these chapters, what did you guys think of our bachelor Oxford Dawn? <laughs> I know it's really funny, so I'm not married, but yeah. I'm going to talk about it anyway. Yeah, I'm going to talk about it anyway. And then, and a lot of people give him a lot of grief about this. Um, you know, especially it's, oh, he, he's from a sexist time. It's like an accusation people say. Lewis didn't understand women, Dorothy Sayers instead of it. But I think for an Oxford Don Bachelor, I think he nails this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess we're all dinosaurs if, if we agree with this. But that's fine. That's what we're supposed to be. So, yeah, um, the first thing he talks about is the difference between chastity and propriety. So what's the difference between chastity and propriety? What's the difference between chastity and propriety? Yeah. Propriety is doing the culture. Yep, culture. He gave the example, I think, of the South Seas. Yep. How they dressed there versus yeah. how they dressed in the Victorian era. Yeah, yeah, and I don't mind outing him. It was Dean, Dean Hellix, and I remember talking one time about. Um, I made an offhanded comment about how I missed the bathing suits from the Victorian era, <laughs> <laughs> right? And I mean, I grew up here, 
right? Yeah. So I don't really go around beaches very often. But Dean had moved to Florida, and he was an avid surfer. So he spent you know almost every day at a beach. And he was like, no, 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 you get used to it, actually. It's amazing because uh, you, you, there is a certain amount of it you can get used to where it's just you're just functioning human beings, and this is what you wear because it's comfortable. Uh, and I was like, no, I just don't. I don't see it. It's never okay. And so we would have this debate all the time. But, I mean, if you literally lived in Florida or... Look, I, I, I have visited the Caribbean. It was awful. It was so hot. I can understand why you would wear very thin clothing or less clothing. Now, that, there is a way to do it modestly and immodestly, but there is a, this is how propriety comes into play, right? I, I, you, can, you can live in Alaska and, and wear uh, ski clothes and be inappropriately dressed, uh, and you can, while someone could be on a beach and wearing beach clothes, but be appropriately dressed. So, what are some examples of propriety that you've experienced in your life? Uh, chastity versus propriety. I'll go first. I am a kid of the 90s and I love nose rings, like those little studs. And I'm constantly trying to talk my wife into kids. I like them too. Yeah, they are so cute. And I don't know why, but when I talked to my students on Friday, they thought this was hilarious. They were like, no, Mr. Claus, that's awful. Uh, but they, then they went on to talk a great deal, these high school kids, about polo shirts and how they, they represent like everything that's wrong with modern America. It was really funny. Um, <laughs> it's like a college shirt, but it's not. Anyway. Um, so what are some experiences of propriety versus chastity that you guys have experienced? Well, I right? lived in Muslim countries, and you're covered head to toe, basically. Yeah, and you yeah. had to do that. Yes. Sometimes. Yeah, well, in the Pakistan, I yeah. definitely was well covered. But it didn't change men's attitude or what's in their... They still were lusting after you. Oh, and, yes. Um, it didn't matter how you dressed. You got inappropriate comments and touching and... Yeah. Right. So, that's... So, it doesn't change what's underneath the surface. It just changed what's culturally appropriate right. in public. Right. Yeah, and you had no problem dressing like that because it was... You were, no problem. Yeah, you are honoring and respecting the culture. Well, I didn't want to um, be shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that little okay, detail. Okay, so a French woman for. got shot in the city oh, because uh, of oh, inappropriate man. dress. Because of the way she was dressed? She was inappropriate. And I sometimes was appalled at how Western women didn't get the picture of, yeah. no, you can't wear that. Well, they think it's like here where you can defy propriety and nobody really does anything. I mean, there, it's like you defy propriety and shot. Because uh, I have a friend, he's a banker, and he lives in Saudi Arabia. And, uh, you know, these these wealthy princes want to keep these guys happy. So they've given them uh, essentially this, like, village with very high walls, and they're not allowed to leave. They're called and, compounds. Yeah, yes. compounds, yeah. And, <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like, oh, okay, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, they can kind of do whatever they want in there. But they're not really, like, the women aren't actually allowed to leave because they, they want to protect them because they, they're worried about this, doing it badly and going out because it's Saudi Arabia, right? They have to keep up appearances. Very strict rules. Yeah, so all the Western women hide out in these places. So he actually lives in a nice place. There's a pool. Uh, they have their own shops and a little cafe in there. His wife has a great time. She doesn't mind living in Saudi Arabia at all. And then a little helicopter takes them to the airport. Wow. <laughs> and so she doesn't have to deal with all that. All that stuff. You're not really living in Saudi Arabia. You're yeah. in the dirt. You're, yeah, you're living in Arizona at that point. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So then he, uh, Lewis mentions older generations, younger generations. 
and, and, and you know, it's funny because a lot of my peers, these ladies, influencers, are trying to like go back to wearing dresses all the time. And what I find is one version of it is that everybody looks like a little house on the prairie, mm -hmm. uh, which I find to be horrendous. I'm like, just go back to dressing like men. It's <laughs> just wear pants. It's better than this. But what are some age differences you guys experience over the years? When I was younger, mini skirts came in. Yeah. My mother didn't allow me to wear a mini yeah. skirt. So I would um, dress for school because we wore dresses back then, and I would take my short dress or short skirt with me <laughs> and put it on when I got there. That's <laughs> funny because that, yeah. And, and you know, kids, you're 13, 14 years old. We didn't think it, you know. Yeah. Well, and we think that it wasn't decent. We think that it's distinct to that. But you know, in the roaring 20s, they also had a problem with really short skirts. Um, and, and, and I was reading a, his, a, a historical work, and there, there was this problem right before the Black Plague. Uh, one of the issues was women's dress, and women were wearing skirts so short that you could see... Their ankles? Their naughty bits. Because back then they didn't wear undergarments. And I was like reading, and so all these ministers were like, this is why the plague has come upon us. And I was like, is this the 60s? Like, <laughs> the dresses were short? Short, and unmarried women... Had to walk, would go around with their breasts uncovered, and that's how you knew they were unmarried and available. And so, like, this was like, we were in, in Europe. This is wow. like, yeah, in Europe. Wow, not, not the twenties. This is what century? Uh, well, when was the Black Plague? This would have been the twelfth, thirteenth century, fourteenth. Right. Yeah, so the, yeah, the twelve hundreds, thirteen hundreds. Wow. 12th, 13th century. And most people don't know this, right? We, uh -huh. but but the the word of God is very clear. There's nothing new under the sun. Um, so in the 20s, here, in the roaring 20s, people, there were short skirt issues. And then you go back in history, you find out this has been a thing at certain times. The, the freedom um, that people want, the access that people want, uh, the, the immodesty that seems to become very prevalent. And, and the, there was a very similar thing just before the, um, the American War for Independence. Uh, the culture in England was very, very disgusting. Um, and, and they were in America considered England to be practically pagan th thoroughly. Uh, sex, um, sexual sin was rampant, uh, prostitution was rampant, uh, the nobility would swap wives and everything very frequently. The same thing happened during the Victorian era, it's just that they kept it secret. Um, like Winston Churchill's mom was a famous loose woman who had like 800 lovers or something in her day. She, and she didn't just sleep her husband into her career, she slept her son into her career. Oh, wow. um, and, and Winston Churchill always thought that was quite admirable. She's, what do you mean she slept her son? Into her career. She would sleep with the right people. Oh, for, to, for to her son? To advance. To advance. Yes. To advance her son. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to be euphemistic a little bit. Um, I'm a little dance. Yeah. So we, we, what, I, I, what I think is very important to understand is that there is nothing new under the sun. We're constantly having to struggle against this. Um, and these intergenerational things, too, I think are very important to under, you know, kids want to push boundaries. I don't always think it's necessarily because they think short skirts back in the day were better. I think it's because they, it's what their parents didn't want them to do was a lot of it. Um, because even when I worked at Providence, where you attended, the girls used to roll the top of their skirts. Oh, to make them shorter. Yeah, so like a couple, every, every, every once in a while they'd roll the top and roll the top again and by the end of the day you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you go, unroll that skirt. <laughs> um, so you find these kinds of differences all the time with, uh, 
with one generation moving to the next generation. Uh, and, and some of the things that you should consider in a Christian culture is that uh, he, he uses two verses. Uh, Philippians 2.3 is one of them. You want to go there, Philippians 2.3. Somebody else can go to Matthew 22.39. That Philippians was, was 322? 2-3. Oh, 2. Chapter 2, verse 3. And, and then the other one is Matthew 22-39. Anybody can read them. Go ahead. I've got the Matthew one. Uh, and Well, this is the, the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, depend on the law and prophets. Okay, excellent. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, what's Philippians two three? Anybody? So you want to do it? We have Matthew. Oh, yeah. We go to Philippians. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Okay, count others more significant than yourselves. And, and this has popped up. I just I, I, I watched a debate where a bunch of Christian women were very upset. Because a minister uh, suggested that they ought to dress modestly in order to not cause the brothers to stumble. Okay, well, a common review, like response to this is, well, the brothers just should keep their mind right. right. Okay, they should get right with Jesus. And you're like, well, okay, I don't disagree with that, actually. Fine. But how are you loving your neighbor and thinking of others when you're purposely not having boundaries right. in the way that you're I thinking think, of I others? I think another way to present that to women is to say, you want to dress modestly for your own self-respect and not always be putting it on... Yes. Not about the men. If they got a problem, that's not your responsibility. Well, it is but, a little bit, though, I would argue. Well, I don't dress in a way that I think is inappropriate. Well, that's because you're a very biblical-minded woman. Yeah, but... Okay, okay keep but going. But I, I guess I get tired of always... These poor men can't control their thoughts. C- control your thoughts. I, I'm, I'm not advocating to dress indecently. Right. But I think... We need to tell young women to dress for their self-respect. Sure. I, I think. So the issue is bigger than what sometimes people make it seem, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're loving God and loving your neighbor, then what you're going to do is you're going to dress a certain way because you love him, and you're going to dress a certain way because you love one another, right? right? And, and, and what, what is not usually included in that is love yourself. It's love God and love your neighbor. Think of others as better than yourself. And so this is why I think there's, like, here's what, like, I talked to my own daughter about it. My wife and I talk about this a lot, too. Um, what, what this doesn't mean is that women ought not to in any way, shape, or form be attractive-looking because attractiveness equals immodesty. When I came into the Christian church, I found that this is what a lot of people think. Attractiveness equals immodesty. And I'm like, no, that's, that's, <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. Um, some of these Christians should go to an art museum or something for a while, right? So they should read a book. <laughs> I'm not, you know, in, in... Or watch Dolby. Yeah. <laughs> Because, right, attract, like, immodesty is immodesty. But what, what that doesn't mean is that women, women are uh, a vessel of the Lord for glory. I mean, they're supposed to be beautiful. So beauty does not equal immodesty. There's a way, and, and this is why I like my wife is very classy. She always looks very attractive in my opinion, but hardly ever immodest. Okay? Even she can go out. What's usually funny is I'm usually like, that skirt seems a little long. You know, I just think in living in Pakistan, and we're what we call a shower kameez, and then you're covered in really. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, loose totally. fitting. But you had, and I thought some of it was absolutely gorgeous and mm-hmm. gold in it, and you know, yep. I, a beautiful clothing. Yep. Totally. How, how can a woman not look beautiful in that? Yeah, you're covered, but yeah. I would say. 
attractive. Right, you know? and I think that's Even like when you're, head when you're talking about long or short, right? I think you're missing the point, right? I think you have to cover yourself and be, be modest, but you have to cover yourself in such a way that you're beautiful. I mean, I think that's, I would go so far as to say it's a command. Because <laughs> a woman is the glory of man, okay? A, a woman is the glory of her husband, Woman is the glory of man, and this is one of the re- this is one of the things they were created to be. It's pleasant to look at, and so what what that requires is the women to control themselves and the men to control themselves, and it requires loving your neighbor and loving God and doing it. Because um, I'm with you, it's like that's um, it's just very frustrating to me the puritanical bad response you get, but then the feminist response you get. It's like nobody's really listening to one another, and I think the conversation goes goes badly very quickly. Uh, okay, so describe and briefly explain... Oh, yeah, the other appetite that he uses as an example. Food. Food. <laughs> Food. Striptease. One of the funniest things I think I've ever heard. Yeah. yeah. Especially then, like, because I've read it before, but then once he was drawing it in the yeah. video, I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Whoa! Mutton chops. Yeah, mutton chops. chops and bacon. Yeah, exactly. Mutton chops and bacon. And, and at first you think, man, these people must be starving. Right? Look at the way they're treating food. Um, but what does C.S. Lewis go on to say? It's not that they're starving. If they're a bunch of gluttons, then you're like, well, no, they're not starving. It's, yeah, they're not starving. They've got a different problem. It is a great point, because the problem isn't that they're starving. The problem is there's too much of it. Yeah, yeah, there's way too much of it. And what I like about this is, okay, like, obviously we all think something like a, a female strip tease is inappropriate. But what I like about this example that he uses is it's... Like, once you, th- like, when the food example, you're like, those people are broken. Yeah. Like, they, they are weird. And, and, and it puts the whole thing in a, in a yeah, exactly. more than just like, oh, that's wicked. You're like, yeah, no, there's something wrong with you. Right. Um, so uh, I, think, I, I, I think that his description is really on point. Um, okay, so list and explain some pack of lies about sexual sin. Lies. What are some lies that are prevalent? In the church. At the end, he, he notes that it's not the most evil sin. Ooh. Which is something that a lot of people kind of portray it as. Um, well, and this is one that obviously, as an overweight guy who both drinks and smokes, <laughs> I'm maybe not the best advocate for this, but I completely agree with him. Um, I think the physical sins tend to, be, like, just tend to be overblown by miles. Um, because, like, oh no. <laughs> you, you ate an extra half sandwich, um, you wicked, evil person. Uh, and, then, and, and then you have the guy judging him, which he's not supposed to do, uh, who's a liar, right? But he's really physically fit because his, his, his body is the temple to the Lord. <laughs> and, and you're like, the di- and this is where he gets the diabolical versus animal self. What's the difference between the diabolical and animal self? He, he calls it the animal self and the diabolical self. Animal self is just kind of gives into their passions or, just, you know, doesn't have much self Yeah, the stuff. desires, right? right? You eat, you drink, you sleep, right? right? All, all of the things your body does, yeah, right. uh, you, you, the animal self wants to do more and more and more of them. But the diabolical is like calculated evil, right? Yes, yeah. right? And that's, that, that, those sins are works. And I think we live in an age um, where we don't understand this. The diabolical self is not even really understood. Um, and and the animal self is, I think, just a little is highlighted a little too much in our circles. 
Um, now, I tend to be the kind of person that because you can, you ought to. Like, I'm a Pharisee about Christian liberty, as I've said before. Because you can, you must. But that's not biblical either. Um, but I would rather deal with um, people who like to have a happy heart with wine who are actually honest and, and, and upright and love their wife and their kids. <laughs> like, I'd rather have that guy than the guy who looks perfect on the outside and is diabolical. Uh, is prideful about it. Yeah, and, and super prideful about it and is, and, and is out there living for his own kingdom. Um, and you can sometimes see it in the way that they live uh, in the animal self. Is this making sense? Mm-hmm. Um, because he, C.S. Lewis has given me the new phrase for the spirit of my life. He said in um, Surprised by Joy, I'm a converted pagan living amongst apostate Puritans. Um, And I've read that book several times now, but when I was prepping for this class and I read that, I was like, man, that explains how I find the Christian church. (laughs) I am a converted pagan. Fine. But I find there are a lot of apostate Puritans living amongst us. A lot of whitewashed tombs. And, and, I think, and I think this is something that we really need to stop and think about. The diabolical animal self. And what, what ethically are we struggling with? What do we think is okay? What do we tend to treat as the unforgivable sins? I, I think this is an area where a lot of us could grow up a lot. Does that make sense? Yeah, what are some other diabol- like what are diabolical self-sins that you can get into? I think um, taking joy in somebody else's downfall. Yeah. Yes. You're helping do it. Yes. Right. Yeah. So there is a there is something very prevalent in our in our circles about relishing the fall of people. Right. You know, when uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died last year, I was a little appalled uh, at how people responded to that. Now I'm glad she's not a justice anymore, and I, I I'm. I pity her if she is actually standing before her, her judge, unrepentant. But I, I mean, and, and I'm glad she's not a judge anymore. But that's not quite what I saw, you know, in social media, right? It, it was like a great rejoicing and let us sacrifice animals to what exactly? <laughs> well, I think the joy was the fact that there was an opening that the Democrats could. Find. Well, I, oh, I think I, people were glad. She I, was I think she. They were actually glad she was dead. Okay, and they and they quote verses about like okay, you know, when the wicked fall, the the yeah, and you're like okay, yeah, but what is our rejoicing ought not ought to look a certain way, and it ought not to look a certain way, and I think what you what you see is what Jesus said when um, because of lawlessness, the love of some will grow cold, um, and the general lawlessness, not in the world but in the church, has caused our love to grow cold. Mm-hmm. We don't. We can't love. We don't know how to love an enemy like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We don't know how to do it, um, and so we, we end up communicating, you know, our, our joy over it, and, and the diabolical self is running loose. But <clears throat> you know what? We sure we didn't stop worshiping during COVID. <laughs> Physically, we did all the right things, but we're over here dancing on this woman's grave. Anyway, um, <laughs> what are some other diabolical sins? Gossip. 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 Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's one that um, I would say is pretty prevalent. Gossip. And, and, and then what it leads to is all kinds of other things. Backbiting, devouring. Uh, you devour one another. It causes division, too. Yes. Yes, it creates division where there wasn't. Uh, and distrust, right? I mean, I don't know how many times... I do it too. So I mean, you know, you hear someone talking about someone else, and you're like, 
what does this person say about me when I'm not there, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Given, given what I just heard. Um, and, and that kind of stuff is, I think, more troubling than eating too many cheeseburgers. <laughs> As a person who eats too many cheeseburgers. <laughs> All right, now, getting on to the next chapter, the cure, uh, you know, the help mate to sex, sex, a good sexual ethic is marriage. So a bachelor, Lewis, was a remarkable, has a remarkable grasp, I would say, of biblical marriage. Now, do you agree with his, do you agree with his description of it? Can you define his description? I can't. Uh, you were supposed to read the chapter. I did, but two weeks ago. I'm sorry, I didn't have to do that. Uh, someone has a book? Does he have a description? How does he describe it? I guess we can ask that question first. How does he describe marriage? A single organism. There you go. The two became one. Um, Adam has his Eve, right? I think, and, and I think it's very important to think about it this way. Um, it was not good that man was alone, and so God made Eve for Adam to, to finish him. And, and that is how I view marriage. Wives finish their husbands. Um, and, and, not in the, and not in this romantic way that is very popular in pop culture. <laughs> What's that? You complete me. You complete me. Yeah. See, that, that is just like, we could talk about that movie and that idea. And that's not what we mean. <laughs> because we're talking about, you know, love, love is something that after the feeling ceases to exist, right, the, the Christian duty of love remains. Uh, we're going to talk about this again with Michael and David today. In the very beginning, it's quite clear that she loves him a great deal. But that's not what God wants of her. She, he doesn't want her to love him. She wants her to respect him. She wants him to obey him. She wants him to honor him. She wants him to do all these things, right? Because husbands and wives are called to different things. Um, now, generally, everyone's supposed to love your neighbor. I get it. But women are specifically told to do certain things in response to their husband. Husbands are told to do certain things in response to their wives. And, and until we start to figure this out, uh, and, the, and, you know, and, and the fact that you're not just... Because women aren't told to submit to men. A particular woman is told to submit to a particular man. And I think that's one of the, like, there's nuances to this topic that people aren't really listening very carefully to. Because it's like my daughter. She, you know, she has a father. She has, and her brothers don't count. Her, her brothers are not in the picture. But she has elders. She has government. Right? She will, she will submit herself to the proper authorities, not anybody who th- wants to make themselves an authority. Right? They can go fly a kite. You and her brothers. And I know right? where to hide a body. What? You and her brothers, right? Just because they're, they're boys. Yeah, and we go through this, we go through this all the time, you, you know, um, and, and, and in reverse with the boys with mom. Right? Yeah. It's like, I, no one's allowed to talk to her like that except me. <laughs> right? I'm the only one who, who in any way, shape, or form can actually tell her to do something. If I hear anybody tell my wife to do something, you better hope I'm not around when you do it, even if you're my son. Okay? In reverse, Gracie, right, you will, boys, grow up to have a woman who submits and serves you. This isn't the one, though, right? Just like your sisters in Christ at church are not the ones, right, at the moment, and neither is this one. So you can't tell her to go fetch your slippers, right? <laughs> or in, in, in any other way treat her as subservient in the household. That's not what we're doing, right? But but you can treat your wife subserviently. You can tell her to go get her slippers, your slippers. No, I didn't say that. I said I I can give her instructions. I can call her and say, hey, I need you to do X, and my expectation is that she will go do it. Nobody else is allowed to talk to her that way. 
and I, I'm upholding biblical ethics. <laughs> I'm just thinking of you calling him from work, saying, "Honey, I want my slippers at the door when I get." Yeah. Well, no, see, and she, she, um, she has, she's called as a Christian wife to respond in a particular way to that. But I mean, we've talked about it. I have no problem. I used to call her when we were first married. I would call her and tell her what I wanted for dinner. And 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 you know how she served, you know what she did? She did it. And and then so then like heaping coals on my head. Later, when I came to realize, like I, I, in passing, I mentioned this to a, a man at church, and he was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, what?" Um, <laughs> he goes and gets his wife and brings her over there, and he says, "Tell her what you just told me." Uh, and and I said it, and she was like, "You what now?" <laughs> they were like, "Come sit." <laughs> and, and we had a very lengthy conversation, you know, like Apollos or what? Yeah, Paulus in, in the scripture, where the husband and wife sat him down and set him straight about the gospel. Um, and, and and I think you know. So what she did was she honored her and, and obeyed her husband, even though her husband is an idiot. Um, and, and I think only right, she comes out greater for it in the end. Right? Does this make sense? So this is this. There's not qualifications. Like Paul doesn't say. Oh, Respect and honor and obey your husband if da 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 da. He just says to do it. And good luck, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next week uh, we'll cover two more chapters. I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but I'll send out links to those for some questions. Uh, Nate, would you pray for us? Sure. Father God, thank you for this morning, this uh, class. Um, good discussion. Thank you for. Uh, for Lewis and what we're learning, I uh, pray we would apply it to our lives. Pray for the service this morning. You be glorified in our worship, our prayer, our giving, and my sermon. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone. <laughs>